Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Eye on the Ball. This week, we're going to talk about John Saunders, Ray Rice, Jim Tomey, A-Rod, the Olympics, and, of course, Phelps. So stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode dose of Eye on the Ball. Um, hope you have a good, we hope to have a good episode this episode. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of different things, but here's my co-host, Matt. Well, let's hope uh, some of them can be uh, a lot sunnier than the beginning. I, I know first thing that I, I personally would like to touch on is I just happened to see the whole thing about John Saunders passing away and co- completely blew me away as I you know, watch the sports reporters every week and then all of a sudden, oh, and I believe it was Wednesday or Thursday, just kind of see the, the ticker on the bottom of ESPN and and, you know, and we see John Saunders passes away. I mean, this is a guy who has pretty much been a part of ESPN for, you know, just about 30 years, whatever the, I don't know the exact number, but I know he's been there for quite a while. But, you know, worn a lot of different hats for the company. And I know he had a, a health scare with cancer several years ago. Uh, came through with that with, you know, flying colors, had relatively great health. And then all of a sudden just seeing him, you know, seeing the headlines that he passed away, and you know, it, it's kind of kind of sad to see how these things go. You know, someone like that who was very well respected. I mean, and a lot of people said that he was he was basically the, the kind of more or less you'd say every man. He he was so down to earth, and he would help anybody. As I remember, you know, they were um, Mike and Mike were talking with Robin Roberts, and I only caught pieces of it after the interview, but. She was only at ESPN for like a couple of months back in, I believe, 1987 or so, somewhere around that frame or time frame. And, you know, after a couple of months, John Saunders said, hey, you know, why don't you go to be the, the host of NFL primetime? And, you know, he told her exactly what to say. She went in, asked for the, you know, basically auditioned for the position and she got it. And I was like, that's a great story. I mean, this is like John Saunders. He's basically just took someone who was there a couple of months and put her in the forefront. And, you know, we all know to this point what her career has been, you know, being on ESPN for, you know, 20 plus years and then transitioning over to Good Morning America and just being an absolute phenomenal uh, sportscaster in herself. And then, like I said, transitioning into, you know, everyday morning television. I mean, you know, John Saunders, I remember him a lot from like the hockey hockey shows when ESPN actually had the NHL many, many moons ago. And then obviously in the last several years, I believe it was about 15 years now that he's been hosting the sports reporters on Sunday mornings. And, you know, personally, I think that's a phenomenal show. And I don't know, I really don't know how that show is going to go on the way it was. I mean, obviously Dick Schaap was the original host. And when he passed away, it, went into transitioning into John Saunders. And now I don't know where, you know, who they're going to tab as the next host. My guess would be Mike Lupica, who has been on that show forever. But it's just sad to see someone like John Saunders go because he was very well respected. To to me, he was one of my favorites. I mean, I, I love the fact that he was a Canadian and he was so proud of being a Canadian and he loved hockey and he was a good hockey player himself. And then, just to, just to hear the way he talked about a lot of different things and his viewpoints on a lot of different things, being an African-American, 
as well as being Canadian. I mean, you know, you don't think of that too often, but that was the case with him. And just kind of sad. I mean, 61, it's, you know, everyone says, oh, it's way too young. I mean, but 61, yes, you know, he's not at retirement age. And it is sad that that happened at that age. It's just, you don't want to see anyone, you know, someone like that, especially someone like him in the public eye. I didn't, I didn't think about age at the time. I just saw that he passed away at 61. It was just kind of floored, not, not because of the age, but more so because, as I said, he had the, the cancer, you know, everything got taken care of with that. And they said he was in relatively good health and then just boom. It yeah. Just it's ends. always, always very sad when that kind of happens when, you know, someone that you grew up with, especially, um, kind of just, uh, passes away, you know, and, to the point though, sixty one, you know, nowadays, and especially as we get older, does not seem as a uh, as old as it used to, at least in yeah, my opinion. It, exactly, because I, I remember uh, Golick saying on Mike and Mike on, I think it was, it was Thursday, and he said like way too young, and I kind of paused and was like, okay, yeah, sixty one's young, but I, I didn't think it was way too young. But yeah, I mean, you're right. This these this day and age, when you know some of us live to. 80 90 you know, up to 100 years old i mean it's just you don't really you don't really think about it until it actually happens and you know me being 37 and you know you being a young 29 year old kid there uh... <laughs> <laughs> no but you know like i think of and kind of this is uh going away from the point but i think of uh my father, and then I think of my grandfather, and my father is certainly much more active than like my grandfather's generation is, and he's about the same age as John Saunders was. He's about a year older, actually. But uh, my point is, like, I, you know, there's a lot of things that my father does that I at 62 that I would never see my grandfather having done, or you know, you know, he's pretty athletic. He works out on a regular basis, plays racquetball, that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, nowadays it just does seem when you think about 61, and of course as we get closer to that. It doesn't seem like, well, that's not that far away anymore. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just really a sad thing to, you know, just have somebody that you, you think about going through your youth and growing up and seeing on, like, these uh, sports shows that, you know, you really kind of admired. So, you know, it's a sad thing. It is, and I, I think now we uh, kind of got that out of the way. We should transition into something else. Now, this is this is going to be a sketchy topic for a lot of people because not everybody's going to agree. And, Do we need a and controversy alert or something? No, <laughs> it, 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 it's not anything controversial. I, I want to touch on the whole thing with Ray Rice. Okay. You know, we all know the story. He was caught on video in Atlantic City punching out his then-girlfriend or fiancé mm-hmm. who eventually became his wife. Okay, it was a bad moment. Yes, it was caught on tape. However, I look at it this way. What he has done in the two years since that incident... He has absolutely turned it around. You know, most people would just like, oh, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. And they would try to make some excuse. From the very beginning, Ray Rice did not make any excuses. I thought the way the Ravens handled it was perfectly fine. I had no problem with them releasing him due to the incident. My biggest issue is now, two years later, no team in the NFL is giving him a second chance for this. And he has been such an advocate against domestic violence. He has gone out of his way to make this a positive. It very well could have been a a Greg Hardy type situation where he goes through this domestic violence, you know, saga more or less. And at every turn, Greg Hardy has made the absolute wrong decision. 
and yet he keeps getting a chance to play in the NFL. I was I was sick to the stomach last year when I saw that the Cowboys had signed him. Not because it's the Cowboys, but because if you look and see the photos that were out there of his ex-girlfriend, all the bruises that they had, all the bruises that she had, and I was I, I was floored that he got a shot with the Cowboys. As of right now, I'm happy that no one in the NFL is giving Greg Hardy a chance because he does not deserve it. He has not... He basically has not come to the realization that what he did was wrong. He thinks because the courts let him off the hook that he did nothing wrong, when in fact he did. The sad part is she didn't want to testify, and I I get that to a degree. However, I think she should have, but I don't know the whole situation with her. You know, and then and then jumping back to Ray Rice, I mean, like I said, he is absolutely just taking it by the horns and said, Yes, I did it, but I'm gonna I wanna teach others about this and teach them how to avoid it. So he really has turned a negative into a positive. And, you know, I was thinking the other day that I know one team right now that I wish would give Ray Rice a chance. I don't think it'll ever happen. But I'm, I was thinking in the back of my head of, of a couple teams in the league that could use a running back. First team I thought of was the Eagles. Because if you think about it, they have Ryan Matthews, you know, sorry, Ryan Matthews, Darren Sproles, and a, a couple young guys. And don't get me wrong, the young guys they have are good. But wouldn't you want a guy like Ray Rice who, you know, you only would have to pay him the league minimum, which is... I think like 1.2 million or something like that. And then give him an, an incentive laden contract, you know, where, you know, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, go from there. And if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. But the fact is all 32 teams at this point have spoken and said they don't want him in the league. And I personally think it's wrong. He's done everything right. He's done, done the, the good thing. And it just gets looked, looked in a bad, uh, bad point of view. Cause I mean, I'll go back to this point, and this was the other, this, like the second point that I thought of. You know, the Eagles, they gave Michael Vick a second chance. And what Michael Vick did was absolutely wrong. You know, the dogfighting dog scandal, and, you know, he served his time in Leavenworth, and then all of a sudden, Eagles ended up signing him, and he had a, a re, you know, a reemergence. I mean, look at the season he had that year. He wasn't supposed to start. And then lo and behold, he has this great year because Kevin Cobb went down and you know, he of course he had that uh that trademark or not trademark, but the signature game against the Redskins on Monday night where I mean he just he lit up the scoreboard. If it wouldn't have been for him, that game wouldn't have been as huge of a blowout as it was. But my whole point is, you know, you gave Vic a second chance. Greg Hardy was given a second chance. A lot of guys in the league were given a second chance without taking that step to make a negative into a positive. And here we are, Ray Rice, two years after the fact, doing all this good, and no one's given him a shot. I don't care that he's going to be 30. He's He has not played in two years. And the last year he played, he was coming off of a, a bad injury, and he wasn't himself. I mean... Look how many times guys get hurt, come back. They don't have a great year when they come back the first year, but the second year, all of a sudden, they get back to form. I mean, Ray Rice is still a good running back, in my opinion. I don't know if a lot of people are going to you know, feel the same way, but personally, any team that gets a guy like him, 
you know, you're probably going to get maybe two, three, maybe, you know, five years out of him. But I look at it this way. He had all those good years with the Ravens. Now, some team, he can go to some team right now and be a contributor, even if it's just a, you know, change of pace type guy or like a first down, second down type running back. And then, you know, whatever the case may be. But I think he would be a good piece on any team because, one, he's a good player. He can run, he can catch, he can block. And two, he's going to be a positive for the community because of everything he's tried to do now with the, you know being against domestic violence because he made this error. I know in this country we look down on domestic violence, and don't get me wrong, I do too. However, if someone like him, who you know what you know was making millions of dollars, now he had this happen, and he's trying to make it into a good thing after what he did. Personally, I think he deserves a shot. I don't know what your opinion is, but I just that's my that's my viewpoint. It kind of. Kind of something I wanted to touch on a you know a while ago about the whole thing with Greg Hardy, how he got the second chance, as I said, but Ray Rice doesn't. I just I think it's wrong. Um. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you a question. Do you think? Um. You know. What do you think the the reason is? I mean, obviously the domestic violence, but uh, of course, is a huge huge issue. But what do you think the reason that the NFL teams won't even look at the guy again? You know, after especially two years, is there anything other than that that you think, or is it just uh, you know? Um, is it just a domestic violence in and of itself? I, I don't think it's just the domestic violence aspect of it. A lot of people think that the, his last year he had with the Ravens, the season before that, that this happened, they think that was, you know, that's who he is now. And he's not. You know, as, as he said, he was coming off of an injury. And it wasn't, I, I forget exactly what the injury was. I, I want to say it was a shoulder, but I'm, I could be wrong. It might have been a foot or something like that. But it was an injury, nonetheless, that he just couldn't come back from quick, you know, quickly. It took some time to come back, and not only that, you know, you know as well as I do, and you know, the Eagles were big, you know, big proponents of this years ago. As soon as a running back hits thirty, you know, they want to dump him. The, the lone exception was Brian Westbrook when he hit thirty. The Eagles kept him for like what two, three, maybe four more years, and he was still productive. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, but in this case, I just think it's it's a lot of things. It's not just yeah. the domestic violence. It's sure. domestic violence coming off the injury, which now he's had two years. I mean, all someone has to do is bring him into camp, and if he doesn't do any, you know, if he doesn't do well in camp, okay, fine. You, you know, little invested. Right now, do you think? Um, and this is something a kind of a very inside marketing type thing, but um. The NFL's big push to increase fan base has been with females. That's been their big push the last couple of years. Do you think this plays into it all at all, especially, you know, in light of everything that happened and then the push to attract more females to watching football? It certainly might. That's a, that's a point I didn't think of. However, I mean, it, it certainly can be a factor. I just look at it this way, though. Let's just say he takes the path of a Greg Hardy on this issue where he says, I didn't do anything wrong. I, did, I didn't do anything wrong. Repeatedly says that, tries to say he's innocent. In Ray Rice's case, it was on tape. You know, sure. We right. all saw it. You know, we all saw what happened. Yep. yep. And it was just a... I really think this. I've always been a fan of Ray Rice. I think it was just one bad moment in his life that was unfortunately caught on tape at a casino hotel in Atlantic City. And... He's kind of he's kind of become the poster boy, so to speak, 
for domestic violence in, in the NFL because he was the first one to really get hit with that new, the you know, the new penalties, basically, even though at the time there was no actual framework of what the suspension was. And, and to me, it kind of, kind of upsets me because, you know, a lot of these guys get a, a pass on things. And I, I personally think it's wrong because I know one thing I wanted to talk about a while ago was the whole thing with the, uh, in baseball with um, Jose Reyes uh, and a couple other guys, most most notably Aroldis Chapman, with their domestic violence incidents. And, you know, the whole thing with, with Reyes was the Rockies, they were going to let him play, but then he was put on more or less administrative leave by baseball and then got suspended. And he came back for, you know, was doing rehab in the minors. And then next thing you know, they didn't want to bring him up to – to the big club. So they, you know, basically designate him for assignment. He clears waivers. He signs with the Mets and, you know, it's, it's Jose Reyes. He's not who he used to be. He's had some injuries. Hasn't, you know, been playing the best. He's not Jose Reyes of five, six years ago when he was at his best, but he, he's still a serviceable player. And, you know, he got a second chance. My whole thing is this. Everyone says, Oh, you know, once you do this, you can't get a second chance. I'm I'm sorry. What where where is that written in the laws of any sport or even in society? Period. I mean, criminals get second chances. You know, and a lot of them, and and these are the ones that don't get talked about. They're in jail. They realize what they've done. They take classes to go through and re and you know rehabilitate themselves and and learn a skill. So when they come out, they can be a decent member of the community. And I, I just personally feel that Ray Rice is kind of under the thumb of the league because, you know, yeah, what he did was wrong, but at the same time, he owned up to it. He didn't try and run and hide and say, oh, no, I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I did it. Yeah, He served his penalty, but I, I just personally think, you know, two years now after the fact, I, I think it's enough. I mean, we all kind of, kind of, you know, and I'll just use this as a quick analogy, the whole Pete Rose thing, he served his penance, he... 25 years, everyone's like, okay, just put him in the Hall of Fame, but keep him banned from baseball. And that's fine and well, because he should go in as a player. But he probably never will go in, period. It seems like another show, but... <laughs> it, it is, and, and that's why I want to make the quick analogy and, and get off of that, and yeah. we can just, we can move on. But just, I just... that The whole thing with Ray Rice just kind of... Yeah. Well, just... just kind just of to, irks me. Um, you know, this is one of the things I really... I don't know. I wrestle with it. But uh, one of the things... Um, I would say is there you have at least one uh, person who agrees with you out there, uh, Matt, um, a sports writer from Baltimore, who in- indicated that uh, you know when he first met Ray Rice, he was a very humble, polite kid, and he just felt like over time as he started to play, he kind of got a big head, got a little arrogant, kind of got in a situation, wasn't able to handle his fame. Then the incident happened, and he believes, uh, in his opinion too, Rice should have a second uh, second shot. You know? And he believes that if he can go back to the Ray White Rice that he once was when he first started, that that um, that guy would be a pretty ups, upstanding guy. So, oh yeah, I just thought I'd throw that out. There. I agree. I remember a couple of years ago. I can't remember the exact year. I want to say 2010, 2011, the playoff game against the the Patriots. I I think it was actually I can't remember if it was in Baltimore or in uh, New England, but either way, I mean, just like he had this one run. I think it was like a 78 yard touchdown run. And they were already up like seven nothing at that point, and I was just like, "Wow, 
you know, they go up 14 nothing on the Patriots, who were supposed to be this juggernaut team, and, you know, they ended up getting beat. And actually, now that I think about it, it wasn't 2011, because that was their, I think that was their 16-1 and year. I'm pretty sure, or 17-1, whatever the heck it is. I'm pretty sure it was like 2009. But but even so, I mean, I just think of Ray Rice. I think of the type of player he was early in his career. And, you know, like you say in that article, you know, someone else that does agree with me, I really wish one, you know, I, I wish one team out there, whether it's Andy Reid in Kansas City, I don't think that'll happen because they have too many running backs that are really good. But I, I seriously think one team that should give him a look is the Eagles. All right. And, Very good. And not just because I'm an Eagles fan, but because of their running back situation. Right. So. All right. Well, that's good. Let's move on to the next topic. What do we got next, Matt? What do you want to go into next? Well, let's see. Do we want to uh, bring some some happier tones back to it and talk about Jim Tomey? And let's his? do it. Okay. Um, this past weekend, I believe it was uh, Friday night, the 12th, mm-hmm. Jim Tomey, long time, you know, more long time Indian. That's how I remember him. But, you know, he went from the Indians to believe the White Sox, if I'm not mistaken, was at White Sox for a year or two, and then he got traded to the Phillies. Yep. And I, I thought it was great. I you know, I loved Jim Tomey back when, you know, he was first kind of coming up with the, the Indians and he comes to Philly, he ends up hitting his four hundredth career home run at Citizens Bank Park, which I thought was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And we all all any of us that are Phillies fans from the '80s, we remember when Michael Jack Schmidt hit number 500 and mm, did do. did the uh, the little dance. dance he did at, at a three rivers three that was, rivers. That was when hitting 500 <laughs> seemed like a real accomplishment too. Like. Well, I mean, and, and it was, and and you know, I, I look at someone like Tommy, who I believe I think if I'm not mistaken, his career total was like 521 or something like that. But I mean, still, it's like you just look at his career, and he was never a you know huge numbers type guy, so to speak. But he always was consistently around thirty to forty home runs. Mm-hmm. I think you know two or three times he he hit the fifty plateau. And, and then to have him come to Philly and be the type of player he was for one, and then be the the type of influence he was on the field in the clubhouse and just to see him get elected to the Phillies wall of fame, you know, it, it does mean a lot because he was only in Philly for a short time. You know, with Jim Tomey, he's, you know, was in, in Philly for just a, a small fraction of his career. Mm-hmm. About I, three years, right? Three and a half years, something like that. I, I want to say three and a half, four years. And, and, and honestly, I, now that I think about it, I might have had the, the, the way his career went with teams wrong. I, I think, I can't remember if he was signed as a free agent or was traded from the Indians to as the a, Phillies. A lifelong Cleveland Indian. He was signed as a free agent okay. on the offseason before 2013. Okay, I could. I, 20, 2003. Okay, I couldn't remember. But still, he spent like four years in Philly. Something like that. And I know then he got traded to the White Sox, which I believe brought Aaron Rowan over to the to the uh, Phillies in 2007, I think, or 2006, mm-hmm. something like that. Something like that, yeah. But, but even so, just three and a half, four years in Philly, he made a mark. But he, he, par- he partially made the mark simply because 
he knew the manager because the manager he had was Charlie Manuel was with him in Cleveland. And I think when you bring in somebody like that, it just kind of bolstered a team that already had a lot of good talent on it. As you think about it, you had Utley, Rollins, Ryan Howard was still not, you know, not to come. And, you know, you had pitchers like Hamels and, and a lot of the other guys. And then to bring in a guy like Tommy and just kind of like, yeah, you know, he was just one of the guys. Yeah. That's all he was. I mean, one of the guys. And in my opinion, I mean, I'm not going to say he was one of the greatest first basemen of all time. But he was one of the, the most well-liked first basemen of all time. A player for that matter, period. Not just first baseman. I mean, he he never had a a hint about PEDs in his history. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if you, if you look at him from when he came into the league, he was a big guy then. And I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he started out as a third baseman, and then they moved him to first base. And I was like, okay, well, that made sense. I mean, one, he's a big guy. I'm not saying a big guy can't play third. Look at A-Rod and, sure. and uh, Ripken, those guys, they, you know, Six foot three, six foot four guys playing shortstop and third base and everything. And but again, you know, back to it with Jim Tomey, he just he, he was a man's man for one, but he was such a good ball player, such a good influence on the guys he played with that just having that couple of years in Philly, he still made it to the wall of fame. But it's because he was so well loved. I mean, he came in and he was an instant fit in the clubhouse instant fit on the field and it just his quiet energy I guess you could say mm-hmm. was just amazing because you know he could he could literally change a game with one swing of a bat and he he did many times and you know I still I still remember when he hit his 400th home run I remember showing his wife in the stands holding their son and she's jumping up and down and his son is like crying like crazy because he has no idea what's going on because I think he was like a year or two old. Sure, sure. So, but I mean, just yeah, just kind of touching on that with Tommy. I mean, he's was an amazing ball player. Unfortunately, he's one of those guys that probably won't get to the Hall of Fame simply because he didn't have the numbers, and he didn't have one of those careers that just kind of makes you say, "Wow, I didn't realize he had that good of numbers to be that impactful." Right. Yeah, yeah, it's just a great thing. Induction into the Wall of Fame. So, um, so apparently, did he come back in 2012 or something, hoping to grab a World Series ring with the Phillies? Or but they were at, in decline at that point, or there's some story like that, or something. I don't believe so. I think he only had the one tour with Philly. Yeah, um, he might have come back as no, because I was gonna say Manuel. What was Charlie Manuel's last okay, year? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a thing in this one article. It says Tommy returned to 2012, hoping to grab a World Series ring as a bench player, but the Phillies declined. Start uh, the Phillies decline started that year, and he was traded to Baltimore Orioles, where he finished his career with 612 home runs. Oh, 612. Okay. Yeah. So. I knew I knew it was more than 500. I knew that much. I I I don't know why 521 stuck in my head. Yeah. Well, I know Schmidt has 548, so that would have nothing to do with it. But I. See, I, I kind of forgot about that with Tommy coming back. and oh, Yeah, I didn't even realize. But, but now that you say that, I remember that because then he was traded, I think. So it was the Orioles, I think. Yeah, he was traded to the Orioles, but I think, I don't know if it was before the trade deadline, end uh, of July, yeah. or if it was in June. Something I like wouldn't that. remember that. I just saw it in this one article I was checking out. So, 
Very interesting. Good stuff. It's always nice to see some of that good stuff happen in the sports world. So, you know, salute to salute him as he goes along here. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I, I, he was just one of one of the best of his generation, not or his era, I should say. You know, from the the mid to late nineties to the, you know, sure two thousands. And speaking of another player who is a uh, a really good player, but also with a lot of controversy behind him. A Rod, he's out. <laughs> yeah, he he is, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I I kind of have mixed feelings on A Rod. I remember when he came in in '96 with mm. the the Mariners, and you know, it, good good baseball player. Or, I'm sorry, '95 was his rookie year. I apologize. '95, forgiven. Well, because '96 that was when he won the sure sure he won the. Uh, American League batting title, hitting like three fifty eight, And, you know, you think about A-Rod and you think about power. Mm-hmm. You think about the the nine hundred, or sorry, the 696 career home runs that he has. And you think about, and I didn't realize this, but, you know, he is second in Major League history with like 2,000 plus RBI. Oh, wow. I didn't realize he had that many. I, sure, I was, sure. I was like, he, he is? I mean, I know who first is, and that's... It's not Babe Ruth. It's Hank Aaron. Right. Hank Aaron has the most <laughs> RBI in in all of uh in all of baseball history. And, and you know, you just kind of think of A Rod and how he started out playing shortstop for the Mariners. You know, he was on that team in '95 that uh, they beat the Yankees in the NLDS with with Junior scoring from first base and. You know, you expected a whole lot about that team, and then all of a sudden, Griffey gets traded in 2000. By that point, you know, A-Rod is there, but he wasn't too far around the corner from being gone, because then he went to Texas. Hmm. And, you know, you just kind of think about A-Rod in general, and think about how he started out as a kid. Then he matured. And, you know, up until the point when he was with Texas, there was no real talk of PEDs. Mm-hmm. I think his PED issues more or less started probably in, like, 2008, 2009, when he was with the Yankees. And if you think about it, you know, he hadn't done much in the two years prior in the playoffs with the Yankees. And then all of a sudden, 2009, he has this kind of renaissance in the in the playoffs, ends up winning World Series MVP. And it's like, okay, great. But if you look, if you just look at his career as a whole, you see the numbers. And the numbers are good, don't get me wrong, but there's that question mark and the yeah. kind of that asterisk that, yeah. that we're going to kind of put by it simply because we know the whole stigma with the PEDs and mm-hmm. it's kind of, kind of draw a comparison a little bit with, uh, with Bonds and, and his whole thing. But I, I think with Bonds, it's, Bonds it's a little bit, little bit different because Bonds has more of a, time frame that is in question than what A-Rod has. Right, right. No, and it's going to be something that, you know, there's always going to be that when did it start, when did it happen? I guess he's admitted to, what, 2010 is when he started? Is that I I believe correct? so. Something like he, that? You know, and he served his one-year suspension in 2014. Mm-hmm. 
then he comes back and he had a great yeah. year last year in 2015, and now well, this year started out okay, but then he just went into rapid decline. It's always going to be kind of that, uh, well, I guess, Lance Armstrong effect, where it's like, how long was he on? You know, what's a legitimate? You know, what was legitimate? Was it really just 2010? Was it before that? There's always going to be that question in the back of people's minds about like, when did this start? You know, when did it happen? Is this was he just a mediocre player who is now great because of this? Um, you know, we, we can't go on anything that we don't know, but it, that those questions will always plague him from now until eternity when they're talking about him in the sports field. And I think, you know, that's uh, unfortunate. You know, you, you never know what could have been um, if he had not used that. You know, maybe he would have been just as good a player. Maybe not. I don't know. But we'll never know, and we'll always have this kind of, you know, back of the mind, uh, lot, a lot of calls of, like, cheating and that kind of stuff. And it's always going to be part of it. Right, it's, and... And I, I kind of think of two or three guys that come to mind during that whole, I'll call it the asterisk era, because that's what everyone talks yeah. about. Yeah. Put guys into the Hall of Fame, but put an asterisk next to their name. I, I agree with it, but yet I disagree. And, and and I think about it this way. Okay, so a couple of years ago, Craig Biggio goes into the Hall of Fame. And I, I personally feel the way it should have been is Biggio and Bagwell should have went in together. But Jeff Bagwell does not get the votes, and it's because he's perceived as being someone who used PEDs. Mm-hmm. And then the same with you know Frank Thomas. They said, well, maybe he does, but honestly, if you look at Frank Thomas as a rookie, look at him as you know, fifteen-year major leaguer. I mean, think about it. He didn't use. He didn't use. I, I can I can tell you he didn't use. He, he was a little bit, little bit bigger than what he was when he started, but it wasn't like this drastic thing. And you know, and then to this year, Piazza gets finally gets voted in. I think he should have been a first ballot Hall, Hall sure. of Famer. I'm not saying he should have been unanimous, 90 plus percent. He probably should have fallen though in somewhere like the 75, 80 percent of the votes. But you you look at a guy like him, and you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, because of the whole back knee thing. Like okay, yes, he had acne on his back. I, right, I can right. I can tell you one thing. I played football in high school, and from the football pads and sweating, I had it on my back, and I, I did not use. Sure, sure. But oh I mean, yeah, it's that, gonna happen. You cover, cover up your pores, uh, right? Like, and, and that and and to me, that's the whole thing. I just kind of look at it as, you know, there's always a reason for it. Could it be PEDs? I don't know. I mm-hmm. honestly don't. But I look at it this way, you know, you, you have guys that, that yes, you, you know definitely did. We know A-Rod mm-hmm. is. He admitted to it. Andy Pettit admitted to it. Bonds kind of admitted to it, but not really. Right. And the whole thing with Bonds is, I will say this, I was a Barry Bonds fan from day one. And when he left Pittsburgh and went to the Giants, I was kind of sad to see him leave Pittsburgh because I think that team could have still been a lot. Right. But I understood it because, you know, okay, he wanted to basically go play where his dad played in San Francisco, which is perfectly fine. He has a connection. His godfather's Willie Mays, and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Willie Mays played with Bobby Bonds and all that stuff. But, you know, with Bonds, like, you could you could see the way his body changed compared to him as a pirate and then him as a, a giant. But it wasn't in 93 when he first went to the Giants. It it was like late '90s, early 2000s sure. when his body started changing. However, you look at you know his eye; he always had a good eye. But now let's go back to A Rod, where we started, so we can finish up on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I just look at it as, yes, A Rod 
he's going to always have that question mark what he could have been. And I'll, I'll take this kind of from a an interview that Mike and Mike did with Lou Pinello the one morning. And he kind of said the same thing. He's like, okay, we, we know how A-Rod was when he started, but now there's always going to be that, that question mark of what he could have been. Right, right. As opposed to what he is. Yeah. And it's because of the whole stigma of the PEDs, because you're right. Was it 2009? Was it 2010? I mean, we already know what he says, but there's always going to be that in the back of your mind. Kind of right. like the it, same with Lance Armstrong. Right. And then Roger Clemens, the whole thing with him. And you know, and again, Barry Bonds. It's like there, there's always the question marks. Okay, yeah. when did they start? And it's, you know, look at the guys from that era, from the... Right. And would mid- their career have been as long if they, you know... Yeah. I mean, and you look from the mid-90s through the, you know, through now, it's like, there's still some questions about people and everything, but in all honesty, I just, I don't know. I guess I just kind of look at it from the standpoint of, you know what, it's its one of those things where yeah. it, it happens. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it is what it is. It, it really is. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah. All right. Well, I think we kind of exhausted that topic, but, it, you know, he's hes—he's—he's uh, uh, he's done as of, I guess, it was last Friday. Is that or is that correct? Two Fridays ago? I don't no, know. No, it was actually this past Friday. This past was Friday, yeah. yeah. I remember it was a Friday. I, for yeah. some reason, time is running together for me, quite I, frankly. I don't but... see how that would happen this day and age yeah. where time just <laughs> runs together for all of us. But, I mean, he's gone, and, uh, you know, I, I, I even saw some Yankee fans who were saying, well, you know, it's about time. I was ready for him to go, which I was surprised about well, a little cause, bit. Because, like I said, if you think about it, when he came yeah. to the Yankees from the Rangers, you know, everyone's like, he doesn't deserve that contract. and. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's paid more than what he should be. But if you look at it, he was like the first athlete to to make that kind of money. Sure. And, and for a sport in baseball where, you know, Nolan Ryan being the first person to make over a million dollars in a season back in, I believe, 79 or 80, something like that with the, with the uh, Astros. And then you fast forward to today and you see guys like um, – Giancarlo Stanton, Bryce Harper, who supposedly is there, everyone's saying he's going to be the first uh, um, $500 million ball player. Jeez. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, okay, that could be the case. I mean, but I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just look at it from the standpoint of, okay, yeah, that might be the case. However, we really right. don't know. All right. So moving on, I guess the big thing this week has been, of course, um, if you've been laying under a rock or, I don't know, under something for the last week, you probably know that the Olympics, probably would not know, or whatever, There, the Olympics has been going on for the last week. Really? Yes. When did they start? Uh, last I, I haven't heard anything about this. Fridays ago. Um, so we'll talk about just generally the Olympics, and of course Michael Phelps has uh, kind of been a star, Katie Ledecky as well, but... Um, um, one of the things I just wanted to kind of start out with a little bit of the coverage. The coverage this year has been kind of a little odd, like the actual when they are showing the sports. And I know, you know, it's uh, Brazil relatively close to the same time as the East Coast of the United States. I think it's actually an hour ahead, um, Rio. Um, regardless, the weird midnight live volleyball games and for some reason putting the women's gymnastics at like 11 o'clock at night, even though it was recorded earlier in the day. A lot of kind of weird decisions. Forcing um, NBC also apparently had some lives made to all the swimming events, or most of them 
live events. So they had them scheduled at 10 at night. So they'd be live, but it just seemed like a little too much swimming in the beginning. I love the swimming. It was good to watch, but I felt like there could have been a lot more variety to some of the evenings. And I know that's been a lot of the, I agree with a lot of the criticism of how they've been covering, especially in the prime time, um, a portion of the programming of how they've been covering the games. It just doesn't seem as exciting as other years. I felt like other years they put a little more variety into that evening, a, a primetime evening, and it was a lot more earlier on. Like within like eight o'clock hour, you could have seen, you know, portions of recorded gymnastics, portions of a swim meet, portions of a volleyball game or that. Not. And this year it seems to be like two hours of swimming with something else real quick, maybe some, you know, human interest story, and then back to swimming until like 11 o'clock. And then finally gymnastics, which was already recorded. The results already known, you know, we're not, why not show that earlier in the day? You know, just, just those little things. I've enjoyed it overall, but it's just been kind of odd. I've been, I guess as a father whose daughter wanted to watch gymnastics to only be able to watch it at like, I think one night it was on at 11 o'clock was a little irritating. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I've, I, I kind of cringe when I see the, the coverage because yeah, I, I agree with what you said about the whole thing with the gymnastics beings at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And the problem is the only way for us to not know the results is if we stay off of the sure. internet. And, you know, for some of us, it's kind of hard to do because our job, sometimes we depend on getting things from the internet. Right, right. You know, yours kind of being one of them. I mean, I just look at it from this standpoint of, I think the way they did the scheduling of the events is more of the issue because, yeah, you know, why wouldn't you schedule the gymnastics at a certain time? Like right. eight o'clock, which was done in past years. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when they—I believe it was the Beijing games. Okay, because they're on the other side of the world. That yes, you already knew what the out already might have right, been right. what the outcome was. But if you were smart, you stayed off the internet and didn't sure. watch certain programming. And you know, eight o'clock, boom. Yeah, there it is. And gymnastics is like, I think that's one of the most well-watched, you know, other than like, say, the 100-meter dash. It's one of the most uh, anticipated events. And I know you, I mean, it was early in the day, so we already knew the results, but it was still one of those things where my daughter and I wanted to watch it, actually see it happen as, you know, even already knowing, I already knew who won gold and silver and whatnot, still to watch it. And then sitting there with my daughter and like, well, it's not going to be on until 1130 at night. It's like, and the thing is, we already knew the results, so why not show it a little early? Now, I think they did... um, Later in the week, I think when they had the, the team event, they didn't show that till late. I think they got their act together a little bit later in the week when they started doing the individual. And I think that was on a little earlier with like breaks and other things in between, which made it a little better because then my daughter got to see some of it. I got to see some of it, you know. But those midnight volleyball games live with Carrie Walsh Jennings and uh, was it April Ross. First of all, this seems really odd to be playing midnight beach volleyball at the Olympics. I mean, who? I mean, who cares? It's not a big deal, but. Again, they scheduled them specifically at uh, NBC. Apparently, scheduled them specifically at midnight. You know, like kind of worked with the Olympic Committee to get that to happen. And they, I think they played three midnight volleyball games. Again, I would like to have seen a little bit of the volleyball, but a lot of us have to go to work. I know if you're on the West Coast, that's what nine o'clock. Yeah. So I guess they would have gotten to see it, and maybe that's what they were focused on. on thinking beach volleyball is a very and, and, California you know, game. And but, I was going to say that. I mean, beach volleyball, Calif- more of a California sure. game, but you know. As we all know, it's kind of spread across the country in the last 10, 15 right. years. But, 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 but again, sorry, I'm sorry, but, but just more of like a lot of those nights, it would be like three hours of swimming and then nothing yeah. else. And Which, again, I love the swimming, 
but I'd right. like to see a lot because there's there's only two weeks of Olympics. You know what I mean? So you don't get a lot of the. There is, and, and you know, and as we all know, okay, you have your first week of Olympics. We all know swimming is going to be the, the the big thing in mm. gymnastics, but I remember years where they would have like a, a, a Michael Phelps race, and then and you know he would do you know he would swim his race. And then they would break away to Olympics for like a half an hour. Sure, yeah. He was going to be swimming again in a half an hour. Right, right. And you know, it's like okay, that that's great. Why why can't it be like more like that? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care if it's if it's live or not. I mean, yeah, I, I understand the way the scheduling has to be. You can't have everything be in prime time. But if you think about the Olympics and just tradition, mm-hmm. for the first week, the biggest things are the swimming and the gymnastics, and then. As what has just started this past Friday was track and field. Track and field, yeah. Which to some people, and I heard Bomani Jones say this on his show on ESPN Radio the one day, that the Olympics for him start on Friday. Yeah. Because him being an African American, he, you know, more African Americans do track and field than they do swimming. Yeah. And, you know, typically if you see an African American doing swimming, it's usually in a preliminary Except for the one girl, and her name eludes me, that won gold. Oh, Simone something. It's, she had the same first name as the uh, the gymnast as well, really. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, mean, I, I knew it just the other day because uh, I thought... Well, you can look it up, but I'll, and I'll, I'll just kind of talk here for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, like I, I was watching yesterday, and they had a volleyball game on in like the middle of the afternoon, and it was U.S. versus... Um, France in yep. men's volleyball, and I'm like, okay. It's and I remember they would show like, time, but, like men, especially men's volleyball. They used to show that like almost in like the highlights. Yeah, uh, like in the evening prime time, like even if it was during the day. Yeah, but but this was like the full match, and I'm like, why is it the full match? I I I would have much rather have seen like bits and pieces of it instead of the whole thing because to me it was boring. Yeah, Simone Manuel is two golds, two bronze, or two silvers this year. Um, so she had a great year as well. A lot, lot of good swimming, though. I mean, it was interesting to see um, how dominant the U.S. was this year. I think they said they have not they've earned as many medals or more medals than they ever had in uh, in in Olympics. I think history. it was something like thirty three yeah. for a total in in uh, between men's and women's swimming. Right, yeah. Which, which if you think about it, thirty three. I mean, that's that's amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And I understand, like, other than, like, Phelps and uh, what's, there was another on the male side. And then, yeah, I think it was that uh, everybody else is fairly young. That's yeah, they're expecting th- they a lot are. Of I mean, and then on the female side as well, I mean, Kayla Decky's, what, 19 years old? Yeah, she's 19. And, you know, Missy Franklin, yeah. she didn't have as good of games as she did in, when it was in London four years ago. She, in fact, in the one race where she was dominant, she finished, like, seventh mm-hmm. overall in I don't know if it was seventh in her uh, prelim or or what, but I mean, she just did not have a did not have a, a good uh, Olympics this year. I mean, uh, Katie Ledecky's been pretty amazing. Uh, the, the, oh, what was that geez. one race? And I'm not sure what it was where she was literally like a half lap or a quarter lap ahead of everybody when she finished. She was 11 seconds ahead of yeah, everybody. That, that's outside. amazing. I didn't see the race, but when I heard that she was 11 seconds and she smashed her own world record by almost two full seconds you're not even playing in the same like that's like high school versus major league type <laughs> you're ba- you're basically talking and I'll, I'll use this analogy 
She is a big fish in a big pond, and everyone else is a small fish in that big pond. Yeah, there was like no... no Because it it was no comparison, because basically, from what I understand, when she touched the wall, she had to turn around and wait something like 11 seconds. No, yeah. 11 seconds to wait for the next person to touch the wall. When they showed the overhead (laughs) shot of like her touching the wall, it looks like she's swimming alone. Yeah, I know. Because they only yeah, show like the, like that one like a quarter of the pool, and it's like, yeah. where's everybody else? <laughs> I saw that too, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I could not believe it. Like I had I had known that she had had beaten her own world record mm-hmm. by almost two full seconds, but I was like, oh my goodness, I could not believe that she's here and everyone else is back here. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I, I liked watching the uh, the volleyball this year, men and women's. Um, Really, uh, I didn't know Karch Karai was actually coaching the women's team. He was a little bit of a hero of mine when I played volleyball in high school. Was so. he? A, was he a beach volleyballer? He played both. Um, he played on the indoor team, and then he, uh, towards the end of his Olympic career, then he started playing on the beach side. Yeah, okay. that, that, that's and, uh, yeah, that's where I remember him from. Yeah. Uh, I remember him from when he played on the uh, the actual um, indoor team. I think he played eighty eight, ninety two, and then ninety six is when he was at beach. I might be wrong about the years, but. Um, so I remember him, and then to see him actually coaching, I was like, just awesome. Like, there's a, there's a guy I remember that I looked up to, and I was like, oh, man, there he is out there in the field again, still in it. Yeah, so. man, well, and, you know, you, you were a volleyball kid. I, you know, more of a football kid, and they'll never have football in the Olympics because if they did, we all know who's going to win the gold every year. And it's not going to be any other team but the United States. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> you have other countries that have their leagues, and you know Germany. Germany is one of them, but I, you know, football in Germany is not NFL football. So, so they're smart for not bringing on American football as as a yeah. game. Uh, one thing I want to kind of touch on though is, as we're finishing up here with the Olympics, is I, I kind of have this lackluster feeling about golf. How yeah, I thought that was. I, I, a little I haven't. Weird about like, it. I haven't seen it on TV mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, and they show scores, and I'm just like, okay. Olympic golf, yeah, this seems does uh, seem weird. Like for for tennis, tennis I can see because tennis, yes, it's an individual sport, and you play for yourself. But at the same time, mm-hmm. in a way, you do play for your country. Because yeah. think think of guys like Andy Murray. Sure, sure, yeah, who is British. Yeah, and. You know he's won Wimbledon twice now, yeah. and that's like that's one of the biggest things for any tennis player to win Wimbledon, let alone someone who is actually from the country, from the United Kingdom, who has now won Wimbledon twice. And you know, like we think of the U.S. Open here for for uh, tennis, and you know, mainly what we think of are guys like Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe. Andre Agassi. <laughs> and, and, and Andre Agassi. And then you flip to the women's side, and it's like Chris Everett. Yeah, Chris Everett. Martina Navratilova. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steffi Graf. Monica yeah. Seles a guess, little bit. Yeah. But then you think of the Williams Jennifer sister. Capriotti. Do you remember that one? Uh, yes, I remember <laughs> Jennifer Capriotti. I actually had a uh, a boyhood crush on her for a while. Oh, there but you anyway. go. Yeah, very good. But, uh, and, and you think of just the stars, and, mm-hmm. you know, but then when you think of, like, the French the Open. Williams and, sisters, of course. Yeah, and, 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 like, the French Open and the Aussie Open, there aren't a whole lot of from those two countries yeah. with the exception of way back when again Monica Sellis who was French and yeah. you know she won won the French Open a couple of times but you know when, when you think of the Olympics you know for me personally as we touched on I think of swimming mm-hmm. I think of obviously track and field gymnastics sure. you know men and women just gymnastics 
and basketball, and you know, yeah, I was gonna th- say there hasn't been a whole lot of basketball nothing on in prime, in prime time. time. Yeah. It's all been during and the again, day. I understand, like if you don't want to show the whole game because you know the result, but why not like a kind of highlight, like a 15, 20 minute, you know, portion of the game? I guess people can complain about that too, but I've not seen any of it. And I remember years ago, and maybe this is just my, you know, how I'm getting old, but I remember at least there would be a few basketball games again in the evening time. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I just sort of remember. Well, if they you would show them. basketball kind of spans the entire length of the games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so maybe towards the end of this game. Yeah, that, that that's one where they start... Kind of like hockey day in the one. winter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hockey in the winter, you know, winter as well, because, you know, you play a game, you have a day off. You play a game, have a day off. Mm-hmm. So as you get into, like, the... Like the semifinals and stuff, and, and towards the medal rounds, that's when you're going to see more basketball. Sure. But... If I'm not mistaken, in 92 with the Dream Team, I mean, they were on all the time. Like, yeah, every time they played I, a game, it was on TV, whether it was live or, or taped. Yeah, well, that was because, something that year, too. But. Right, and but they did. I think they did the same in 96 in Atlanta, and I'm pretty sure they did the same thing in Sydney and then in Athens with 2004. But kind of ever since then, it's like they don't have it on as much. And, and I'm wondering if it's because... They're trying to cover more than what they had before. Yeah. But when you think about it, NBC, how many channels do they have? Like, I know yesterday there was stuff on USA. Yeah, I know there was tons of I mean, yeah. it's it's not like they have this shortage of channels. I mean, they have NBC itself. They have NBC you know, Sports. NBC, NBC Sports. I mean, you name it. You name it, and, and they pretty much have it. So it's not like it's... And basically, my whole point is, you know, in the past with NBC, yeah, they they've had channels like they did it on Bravo and and like uh, you know CNBC with cer- certain stuff, but they they don't have the shortage of channels now, especially that NBC yeah. is you know more or less a part of Comcast and everything, so they have all these extra channels. Like I said, USA, Bravo, yeah. you know, NBC Sports. I mean. I think what they're doing is they're relying on you to have to go to watch the basketball game on like Bravo or whatever. I don't know if it's on Bravo, but like NBC Sports. But I think right. a lot of, a lot of most of the people are going to watch the primetime coverage, That's which, just my, which is fine. Which is yeah, but I think what they're saying, what they what they're thinking was is that's just we're going to rely on the basketball game is going to be on uh, NBC Sports. Watch it there. But the, the pro- women's soccer is going to be on NBC Sports. Watch it there. But. You think they would show a little more of that in the evening broadcast, but. right? But the problem with with the whole thing with that is like it, the basketball games are on at like eleven o'clock in the morning. Sure, right, right, I understand. And that. then soccer is on at like five thirty in the afternoon. I'm yeah. just like, you know, don't get me wrong. And I know it's women's soccer, which is you know more popular than men's soccer in the United States. Big fan myself, but I mean, I I am too. I you know, if I had to choose between watching men's you know usa men's or usa women's i'd watch the usa women's because one they're more successful but that's not the reason i just think they're they have better play amongst the team sure but i also look at it this way you know with the men they are the underdog and i kind of have always liked the underdog since you know i kind of am the underdog myself but that's neither here nor there it's just i i just think that you know, basketball is so popular, and yes, I understand the U.S. team, even though it only really has two guys returning from previous teams in Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Durant, 
they're still a good team because they have some of the best players in the world. And no, they don't have LeBron and Steph Curry and some of those other guys that are normally there. But that's because LeBron and Dwayne Wade and some of those other guys, you know, they're getting long in the tooth. Hmm. And of course, Chris Bosh, you know, he can't play because of his whole um, blood clot issue. So that that one I understand. That's yeah. more of you need to get your life, your health in order for your life than anything else. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, I look at it this way with basketball. And with the exception of the game they played the other day where they almost lost. Like they only won by three points. I believe it was against the Serbian team who... Yeah, they had a rough time. Who, who they could There was have, another game they had. A, was well, yeah, game. apparently what's been happening is they've come out of the gate slow, but then in the second half or you know whatever the case may be, they just blow the other team out. Sure. In this particular game against the Serbians, they couldn't because, you know, face it, the Serbian team is usually one of the teams that does give the United States fits because they have a lot of professional players. Might not be NBA players, but they're professional players in Europe. And they're still pretty good because some people say that the European game, which plays more of like the the world rules and has that kind of format, a lot of people feel that's better than what you see in the NBA. And I think sometimes that's what happens with some of our teams that we send over for the games is it's that transitioning from NBA rules to world rules because they're different. You know, the the lane is a little bit wider, not by much. But the roles are a lot different than what they are. And over the years, the NBA is trying to kind of integrate some of those rules into their game to make it easier. But I, I think that's where they struggle. And, you know, honestly, this being a younger team for the U.S., it guys that have not played before in international competition, and if they have, it's only been like, one world championship right, right. in like last year. Mm-hmm. So they don't have all that experience. However, I, I'm willing to bet in four years when the Olympics come around again, and I don't know where they are in I think four Tokyo. years. At, uh, that's right, Tokyo, because they were talking about how Michael Phelps is not going to come back for Tokyo. He is done swimming, which, you know, we, we kind of are going to, I guess, finish off with Michael Phelps real quick. Once, yeah, that's uh, let's get there. It, we're running uh, a little, we're running a little long here. But I so. mean, it, you understand what I'm saying, though. It's like they, you know, once everything turns over for the next four year pe- time period to get to Tokyo, you're going to have a completely different crop of NBA players in the Olympics. Sure. Yeah. So now we can transition into Phelps. All right, let's go to Michael Phelps. What say you? What I say is, with the exception of the London Games, where he didn't really prepare the way he did previously. <laughs> This one, I know he put some preparation into it. And, and you could tell. Now, granted, it wasn't Michael Phelps of eight years ago when he dominated in sure. in Sydney. But you don't really expect that at 31. But still, in my opinion, he was one of the highlights of the Olympics this year. Simply because at 31 years old, the stuff he did is just amazing. And, right. and he's going to go down as probably the greatest Olympian Maybe not in the history of sports simply because of how many events he has, but he'll go down as one of the best of all time. Yeah, he has more gold me- or more gold medals and medals than any. Twenty three. Yeah. Which ironically they were talking about there's only two two athletes with the first name of Michael that can wear the number twenty three and be the greatest <laughs> of all time. 
Yeah. One being Michael Jeffrey Jordan, number 23 for the Chicago Bulls. Right. And Michael Phelps, 23 gold medals in his Olympic career. Yeah, very good. And, uh, you know, I heard um, one of the things that kind of um, got Phelps um, to kind of more focus on this game is uh, Ray Lewis, actually. Um, the story goes that Ray Lewis actually provided him the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, Michael Phelps has actually seen in interviews holding it and said that was, uh, he credits that with his, uh, just providing him some focus and um, getting him kind of set for these games. So um, well, just a little tidbit there. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, Michael Phelps with the whole uh, DUI thing and, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really kind of what brought him to wanting to come back and, and compete in these yeah. games in Rio. But uh you know, it, it it's going to be sad that you know there's really no one to pass the torch on to you know per se because I don't know about Ryan Lochte. I don't know where he's going to be. Yeah, Ryan Lochte. I mean, I I, I don't think he's going to be around in, in four years in Tokyo because him and Phelps, I believe, are right around the same age. I think they might be a year or two apart. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I remember watching the other night and they were showing. A uh, picture of Ryan Lochte and Michael Phelps in the in the pools, the I guess cold pool, whatever. I saw them, yeah. yeah carb, you know, carb, carb loading, loading it, yeah. and it was like the old guys, and I, I kind of got a chuckle out of it when I realized what I was actually seeing. It was like, yeah, you know, it, it got a point. Yeah, it's the old guys, and you know, the, I I don't know a whole lot of the the younger swimmers that are out there. I mean, but it, it's kind of one of those things where I guess we'll see in four years. Who are the you know next up going to be for the men? I mean, at least with the women, we know Cage Ledecky is going to be there. For sure, yeah. And um, Simone Manuel, because I think she's what eighteen. Yeah, or 19, she's rather. Young. They like said that. that's a rather young team, so yeah. it's going to be. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, and I know, I know the the men's team is young, but you know, when you have two guys like Bakhti and Phelps, they kind of overshadow the entire team because they're two of the best in the world right now, in some of those events, but. Mm-hmm. It, It'll be interesting in four years without uh, Phelps and possibly most likely without out Lochte on the men's side. And then, you know, yeah. like we said, Simone Simone Manuel and Kate Ledecky and, I don't know, what do you think, maybe Missy Franklin? Well, maybe, we'll have yeah. to see. It's one and, of those things like there's always new names, always new people. Yeah, new exactly. Names, so. And, you know, everyone thought that Phelps was not going to be not gonna be uh, in it this year, but he decided to give it one more go. And I'm, I'm glad he did because you just – you look at how good he was, and it was amazing. It's kind of doing it a classy way, ending up on a high note. So, And speaking of ending, <laughs> about time for the show to end. So we just thank everybody. I don't know if you want to say any one last thing, Matt, before we go. Uh, no, I just want to say thanks to whoever is listening out there and you know, spread the word. We might not be everyone's cup of tea, but you know, hopefully we're someone's shot of whiskey. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. See you later. Bye.